Sue Kurati is one of the most influential business leaders in our community. The C-Suite, featuring key leaders in Des Moines, and explores the motivations that made them successful and how they're shaping their organizations, our city, and the economy. And it's sponsored by Competitive Edge, advertising specialty manufacturing company, your promotional edge. The C-Suite with Sue Kurati. Hello, I'm Suku Radia. I recently retired as CEO of Bankers Trust, and it is my privilege to interview Michael Gartner this, uh, today because Michael is a dear friend, and I asked him to do this. And Michael, your background is really interesting, and I'm not quite sure that we'll get past this question. So why don't you give us your background? I was born and raised in Des Moines. My father was a newspaper man. My mother was a piano teacher, uh, born on a in a bungalow on 40th Street. Used to be in the middle of the block, now it's on the corner because the freeway went through. Uh, I went to Prokill and then public schools. I went to college at Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. When I graduated, I went to work at the Wall Street Journal in New York, that would have been 1960. I stayed there for 14 years, became the second ranking editor at the Journal. I also uh, went to law school while I was there at New York University. I came back here in 1974 to be the editor of the Register and Tribune. I stayed there for uh, about 10 years. We tried to buy it, and the Coles family, which owned it, thought that was kind of uppity. And so uh, they uh, uh, tried to fire us, but they found out you can't fire somebody for just trying to buy a company. And so they put us back by us. I mean, Gary Gerlach, who was the publisher then. I was the president and uh, and editor. He was the executive vice president and publisher. And they said, uh, so they put us back on the payroll, but with no duties except not to sue them. And so uh, they provided us offices, and I'd come in every day, and I'd read the paper, and I'd look at Gary and say, well, I'm not going to sue him today. And he'd say, neither am I. So I made the only decision I needed to make. And after a few weeks, that got boring, so we started buying small newspapers. Uh, then Gannett bought the Register, and they hired me to be their uh, – uh, top, I forget what the, what the exact title was, uh, executive news editor or something uh, at Gannett and at uh, uh, all their all their newspapers. And then about a year later, they bought Louisville and had some problems. So I went down there for 18 months, 15 months to be the editor and pre- of the uh, Louisville Courier Journal and Times. Then I came back, and about that time, NBC came and asked me if I would come and be president of NBC News. I said no four times because uh, I just I didn't want to raise my kids in New York. And so we worked it out so I could do it and commute. So I did that for five years till my pension was vested. And then I came back here and we had owned the Ames paper. So I uh, started going to the Ames paper every day for five or six years and tried to turn that into a fine little newspaper, a little journalism school. I did that. And then uh, one day the phone rang, and it was my friend Mike Giudicessi told me he thought that the uh, Iowa Cubs were for sale and uh, we should buy it. And so I called up Kenny Granquist and uh, bought it that afternoon. And you still own the small papers? Uh, No. We uh, sold all the papers. Uh, We uh, we had a third. Gary and I owned the papers together. We had a third partner, David Bellin, and he died in a freak accident at the Mayo Clinic. And... uh, his children wound out, so we sold virtually everything then. And while you were uh, there, uh, owning the small small papers, you won a Pulitzer Prize. I did. I think I'm the only person in the world who's got a Pulitzer Prize and a World Series ring. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> probably true. Because the Cubs sent me a World Series ring <laughs> after that's they right, won the yeah, World yeah. Series. <laughs> yeah. 
So tell yeah. me about the Pulitzer Prize. Well, it was just based on, it was for editorial writing, and I wrote the editorial every day in the paper, and it was usually on a local issue, uh, sometimes frivolous, sometimes not. Uh, so uh, uh, it's unusual for a, uh, to win a Pulitzer Prize in a small newspaper, although my friend Art Cullen did it this year in the Storm Lake uh, Times. He, had, he worked for me in Ames, and we're good friends, and, and uh, he, he won it 20 years after I did. I called him up, uh, and I said, Art, I said, the day he won it, I called him, I said, Art, I'm more excited for you that you won the Pulitzer Prize today than I did 20 years ago. And he says, I'm more excited for me, too. <laughs> so he's a wonderful guy. He's a great guy. Yeah. You've had such an interesting life, um, and you've done so much good. So I only speak one language. <laughs> Suku, you speak seven. Well, <laughs> so tell me about what would be your two or three top highlights. Oh, I don't think you have necessarily two or three top things you know if you like what you're doing every day is a highlight yeah and i've always liked every job i had some were easier than others some some a little more fun but they were all interesting the moment they weren't interesting i started thinking i don't want to be here anymore uh but uh you know they differ from being the editor of a paper in a small university town to be president of NBC News. You know, somebody asked me, what's the difference? And I said, well, they're really the same, except there's just a lot more zeros before the decimal point uh, at NBC when you're working, trying to work out the numbers and yeah. the personnel issues are kind of thorny and you and you live your life in public there and in the gossip columns. But uh, everything I've done has always been basically, uh, except baseball, is basically uh, journalism. And uh, uh, I've always... Always enjoyed it uh, and uh, been a happy guy. Along the way, you sued Iowa State University, so I think our listeners will want to hear about that. Well, this. I think I sued them more than once. Uh, uh, they, uh, we owned the paper in Ames, and, and uh, they had a campus newspaper, and they wouldn't let us distribute our newspaper on campus. And, uh, so, and then they started distributing their newspaper in town. So I said that that was an unfair playing field, and and we sued them. The problem at the time was they had a guy over there who thought the First Amendment was the one about guns. You know, I mean, he didn't he didn't really get it, President uh, Jishke. Uh, and uh, so we sued, and we won. Uh, we won ninety thousand dollars, and then we used the ninety thousand dollars to set up a scholarship fund for Iowa State students uh, in journalism. But yeah, I've I've been a pretty close observer of Iowa State over the years because I owned the paper up there then. I was on the Board of Regents and President of the Board of Regents at a time when uh, President Joffrey was the president, and he was a spectacular president. And then uh, after he left, uh, President Leith was there, and I, I never thought that he understood uh, the uh, purpose of a, of a university, which was for to open up people's minds and everything, and, and, uh, and he was quite political, and, and uh, he uh, cost the university a, a million dollars in a... Uh, First Amendment lawsuit. Uh, these two kids uh, went through all the right hoops, and they put the they they were running the campus chapter of uh, the group to legalize marijuana, and they had T-shirts and they put sigh or something on T-shirts. But they got all the permission, and then somebody in the Branstad administration or so complained to Leith, and so right away he changed the decision, and so they sued, and the final legal bills came in, and it's been uh, each of the kids got seventy five thousand dollars, and the legal bills were. Uh, close to uh, nine hundred thousand dollars. So 
you know, you, if you run a public, if you run a private university, you can do whatever you want. But a public university is the government, and you, you just can't do stuff like that. And, and you shouldn't anyway. You know, the whole purpose is to expose people to new ideas and and new thoughts and and uh, uh, broaden their horizons. Uh, and uh, Joffrey, Joffrey understood that. And you know who un- understood it was uh, was uh, Mrs. Jiski. She got it, uh, but uh, President Jiski didn't. But anyway, always makes it interesting. You know, it's, I used to say when I owned the paper, I'd drive up from the morning every day, and I figured by the time I got there, either Jiski or Governor Branstead would have done something so outrageous I'd have my editorial for the day. <laughs> the... Tell me a little bit about Vision Iowa. You know, you did such an incredible job. Vision Iowa was a great thing. Vision Iowa was the thing I'm proudest of. Of all the things I've done, Vision Iowa was the thing I'm proudest of. Uh, uh, it was uh, uh, Governor Vilsack's idea, or maybe Mrs. Vilsack's, one, one or the other, and it was uh, to set up a uh, group to use some um, gambling money to bond to spend up as much as uh, worked out about $250 million to make Iowa a better place to live by improving the infrastructure. And he appointed a board. He called me up one day, and he said, I'm a, told me what it was, and if appoint a board, would I be on it? And I said, yeah, Governor, I'd be happy to. I'll do anything for you. I liked him a lot. And he said, would you be the chair? And I said, well, you know, I'd like to think about that. And he said, well, uh, I'm not going to announce it for five minutes. So I said, okay. And so I went home that night, and I said to my wife, I said, I just, I just agreed to do something for Vilsack that when it's all over, there will be 500 people in the state who like me and 500,000 who are irritated. And she said 500,000 more So, because uh, uh, <laughs> at the register, you know, there's always people mad at you. Uh, but anyway, uh, so he appointed this board and it had a couple of really terrific people on it, particularly a guy named Greg Connell, who then was the mayor of Shenandoah, who really knew about municipal finance. And so we set our own rules. And one of the rules was we were going to try to we were going to try to uh, stretch this money as far as we could. And so by the time it was all over, we had uh, allocated $250 million of the state money, and we had really uh, stretched that into spending of probably about $3 billion around the state. Uh, there was a uh, – Vilsack agreed he'd stay out of it, uh, so there was no politics in it. It was, uh, it was all uh, – fact-based, and and we put in a rule that every project had to be completed, even, even if they didn't get all the money they asked for, and we never gave people the money they asked for, but we would go over their finances very carefully with them and tell where the money was, and when it was all over, I said to the governor, you know, it was never about the money. It was always about a good idea and the right leadership in the town. The money could have been raised, but this was the seed money for the project. I think the average gift was about 15% of the value of the project. But we said we wouldn't put any state money in unless there was city money and county money and private money. And if there's a casino, casino money. And then when we found out how rich um, locally owned utilities were, municipal utilities, you had to get money from there. And then we found out how rich some of the landfills were and get money from there. Uh, And so uh, uh, there there was a lot of really bad feelings during the negotiation period, but when the first shovel was turned, everybody was happy, and it transformed downtown Des Moines for sure. Uh, you know, they came and they wanted $70 million for the arena, and we said, that's a real estate deal. That's not transformative. And so by the time it was done, we had a new science center, uh, a refurbished, uh, a new library, a refurbished old library, a new arena, a new uh, a new uh, convention center, a uh, uh, Hall of Pride, 
a Papa John building, and that was all part of the deal. And so it was really spectacular. It really kick-started Des Moines. I'm, I'm extremely uh, proud of that. It was a great – Vilsack, uh, Vilsack he, was, he was a great governor, and, and he just did a spectacular – it was a great idea. He got it through the legislature in a bipartisan way and uh, uh, kept politics out of it, appointed a good board, and, man, it was great. And as I recall, the edict was that those were the last dollars to go in. Is that pretty much so? Pretty much that? so. What we do sometimes we uh, we we let we let somebody use our promise of a grant to help them raise money. Like we'd say, "How much money? You're still such and such short. We'll give you two million if you can raise the other six million. Yeah. And how much? And we'll work with you. You know." You can, you, you can go to people and say, you know, the state's going to give me two if I can raise another six, and, w- and how much time do you want to do that? And they'd say, give us 120 days. So we would make a contingent deal based. It was, it was, it was a lot of working together. Yeah. The, the people were fantastic. And, and, you know, the leader, it might be a school teacher. It might be the city clerk. It might be the mayor. It might be a policeman. You, you, but you could just sense during the presentations who the person with the energy, with the idea, with the stubbornness, with the drive to get this done. And we didn't have any project fail. We rejected a lot of projects, but we never had a project fail. And and they're still around, you know. Tiny little museum up in Tama County, uh, which really changed that little town to uh, downtown Des Moines, to the Dubuque waterfront. Uh, it was just great. You know, Michael, um, think about Vision Iowa or the Board of Regents, et cetera. No matter what it was, my sense of it is that you really gave it your all. You spent a t- tremendous amount of time studying the issues, uh, really educating yourself, et cetera. So I have to applaud you for that. But this was a big commitment. Well, you know, I was a reporter, and reporters deal in facts. Yeah. A lot of people don't think that, but reporters deal in facts. And and so when you do something like Vision Island or the Regents, you just say, I'm going to deal I'm going to deal in facts. And then the next thing you say is, I'm going to try to do what's right. So I don't care about the political pressures or anything like that. And I don't care who gets mad. You know, uh, I had a son who died when he was 17 years old in uh, 1994, a big healthy boy, and he had an initial attack of uh, juvenile diabetes, and he died the next day. But So the worst thing in the world that can happen to anybody has happened to me. And so particularly after that. I mean, I was always kind of, I don't care what people think, but after that, uh, I was just further driven to do what I think was was right because I know he would want me to and and I know that nothing bad, nothing even remotely close to what happened to me could happen could happen and and so you uh, that kind of changes you quite yeah, a bit. It does. Sure. The column you wrote about them, Christopher was pretty you know, I still get teary-eyed whenever I, yeah, I still was, have it. He was a great kid, you know. He, yeah, he uh, he was a very he was a very funny kid. And one day he was a great big. All my kids were adopted. And he was a great big boy. He was probably six four or six five when he died. I'm short, as you know, and my wife is. And one day he, when he was sixteen or so, he introduced me to a new friend. He says, "Dad, this is my friend Bill." And I says, "Oh," and you could see the kid look at me and look at Christopher and look back at me and look at Christopher and try to figure out well, what the what? heck is going on. And Christopher saw it too, and he looked at the friend. At the friend, he says, "You should see my mother." <laughs> <laughs> so he was a funny, yeah. he was a funny boy, and a great boy. I miss him a lot. Well, Michael, you know, I really appreciate your coming in and letting me interview you. This is like, you know, the shoe on the other foot. Um, I can't do this justice the way you do, but 
It truly is an honor for me to have you here. Well, it's a pleasure to be on Radio Radio. (laughs) Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. The C-Suite with Suku Radia, sponsored by Competitive Edge, advertising specialty manufacturing company, your promotional edge.